Welcome to the Valley View Friends Church Podcast. I'm Pastor Josh. Thanks for tuning in. I am so glad to share the next few moments with you today. I'm all about you thriving in life and growing in your relationship with Jesus. At Valley View Friends Church, we like to say that we are learning how to live as God's people by reaching and restoring hearts and homes with Jesus. Today, we're going to continue our series from the teaching of Jesus called the Sermon on the Mount. It's Jesus' teaching that calls Christians on how to live a holy life. There's a story about a group of tourists. They spent hours one Saturday night looking for a missing woman near Iceland's Eldiga Canyon, uh, only to find that she was among the search party. The group was traveling through Iceland, and they were on a tour bus, and they stopped near a volcanic canyon, and soon as the word got out that there was a missing passenger, the woman, who had changed her clothes, she didn't recognize the description of herself, because they were handing out the description of this missing person. She didn't recognize it. She joined the search party. But the searchers called off around, well, 3 a.m., when it became clear that the missing woman was, in fact, accounted for and searching for herself. Well, everybody's searching for something in life, whether it's success or security or happiness or recognition. Perhaps you have found yourself searching, well, for yourself. Most of us simply want to find meaning and purpose in life. And admittedly, this is easier said than done. Today's text focuses on what is most important in life, seeking the kingdom of God of God. At the end of the text, you'll find the heart of it. Uh, it's the most famous verse, Matthew six thirty three. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. This is not some sort of scheme to gain blessing and wealth, as a lot of people use it. Uh, it's not a message of prosperity, but it's a message of priority. The big idea for you today is that you will find satisfaction in your life only when you seek first the kingdom of God. Every time you put something else first, you are asking for heartache. So, here's a few thoughts to keep in mind as we get ready to read the text. Um, This text is not always kept together when it's used in sermons and in different teachings. There are three portions in the beginning concerning treasure and eyes and masters. And those are often either put together as a group or split apart uh, into three little passages to preach on. The second half is almost always read separately, and it concerns worry. But they really all go together. You, You can look at them individually, but they all fit together as a unit. The first three pictures are warnings about treasure and eyes and masters. And then Jesus provides a solution. And you'll hear in the middle of the text, the signal for that solution. It's therefore. So if you want to avoid the first three pitfalls, don't worry. Seek God's kingdom instead. So let's read the text from Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 34. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. If your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. What you will eat or drink or about your body or what you will wear is not life more than food is and the body more than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin, and yet... I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, for all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble for its own. So there's three pictures there. Treasure, eyes, and masters. And I'll expand on them in a minute. And then Jesus answers these three pictures with a teaching on worry and the kingdom of God. That word, therefore, is our clue. See, treasure and eyes and masters are an issue. Therefore, you know, Jesus actually says the answer is don't worry. Right. Yeah, don't worry. Tell a parent not to worry about their child. It's not easy to do. Or anyone who's about to lose what they love, tell them not to worry. It's very difficult. I know. I'm a person who's prone to worry. I know it's far easier said than done, but Jesus says, don't worry. Well, what's he saying not to worry about? Food, drink, body, clothes. He's saying, don't worry about the basics. Don't worry about these things that you feel are essential. Jesus is telling this to a people who they live in a desert where a drought can easily jeopardize the food supply. Simple injuries in the time of Jesus are much more serious. So the body can be jeopardized very easily. But he says, don't worry. And why are we not to worry? Worry wonders if the one in charge can be depended upon. Worry is built on the idea of failure. Something's not going to work out. And worry comes from heartache that we've already experienced. See, Jesus doesn't promise an easy life, but he does promise that the Heavenly Father will care for you when you trust in him. Eternity is taken care of. Jesus is saying that there are need, there needs to be something different about the Christian than the pagan, from the non-Christian. The Christian knows the Creator. We know the one who supplies food, drink, health, clothes. We know that He loves us. We know that He wants good for us, that His plans are good. But worry wonders if life will ultimately not turn out. So here's a few words about worry. Most of what we worry about is what can potentially go wrong, not what's actually happened. And that means that most of our worries are over things that have not yet happened. And that's not a good way to live. Here's something I know, because I do worry a lot, especially in the past. 
Worry is a thief. It only takes, it cannot give. J.C. Ryle writes this, Prudent provision for the future is right, but wearing self-tormenting anxiety is wrong. Worry only takes from you. Worry cannot give life. When we worry, we reveal that we have misplaced our confidence. So what is the solution? Seek God's kingdom first. His kingdom is the place for your heart, your eyes, your loyalty. When you seek the kingdom, you leave less and less room for worry to take root. So what does it mean to search for the kingdom of God? Well, Jesus gives us three pictures that warn us about distractions from seeking the kingdom. And the first one is treasure. And what is it that you treasure? Think about that for a moment. It's easy to tell what a new parent treasures. The lengths we go to to protect and provide for our children are extreme. A few weeks ago, my wife Betsy and I were reflecting on the day we brought our son Seth home from the hospital. It was in December. It had been incredibly cold. That week that Seth was born, the temperatures were in the negative. It was cold too cold for salt to melt away snow, and there was snow packed onto the roads. It would crunch when you drove over the streets. So we loaded Seth into the back seat. His car seat was secure. He was bundled up. Betsy insisted on riding with him in the back seat. I drove, and I remember that trip well. It was 1.6 miles of sheer terror. Were we any danger? No. We felt it. We were worried. I turned out onto the main road and proceeded to drive 15 miles an hour all the way home, wondering why on earth everyone else was going so very fast. Didn't they know the precious cargo we were transporting? We knew what we were treasuring in that moment. Dallas Willard writes this, We reveal our treasures by what we try to protect, what we try to secure and keep. Jesus knows that which we treasure will control our very hearts, and he wants you and me to be very careful about what we let govern our hearts. Jesus describes in this text two different treasures, earthly treasure and heavenly treasure. He makes an important distinction between them, though. The earthly treasure is always temporary. The heavenly treasure is always everlasting. Both have power over our hearts. One is lasting and one is not. Be careful what you make into your treasure, because your treasure will set the course of your eternity. Some treasures are very immediate, like a dessert or a drink, a moment that makes laughter or a quick pleasure, but then they fade. Some treasures take a lifetime to build and can be very good, such as a career, a home, your family, but a lifetime is still temporary. Jesus encourages us that to invest in a treasure that will last forever, heavenly treasure, because it does not fail. It cannot be taken and it cannot be destroyed. Now, certainly Jesus does not forbid having possessions, having wealth, making provisions for the future, or even just enjoying the good gifts of the creator. So, please enjoy life. However, Jesus forbids materialism that ties our hearts to this earth. Because our hearts will follow our treasure, either up to heaven or down to earth. The second warning he gives is about eyes. Admittedly, this is the strangest picture of the three and is often glazed over or forgotten. Jesus tells us that healthy eyes will fill the body with light and unhealthy eyes will fill the body with darkness. What on earth is he speaking of? Well, John Stott writes this, that ignoble and selfish pursuits plunge you into darkness. Unhealthy eyes happen when we let selfishness and greed rule our desires. 
And it does seem to be the case that when Jesus is talking about, that what Jesus is talking about is what happens to a life that is governed by eyes and hearts that seek the kingdom. He says that when you seek the kingdom with your eyes, with your hearts, you will do well. But when you seek your own selfish desires first, you'll become dark and unhealthy. You know, we often feel our own desires are very good, and I understand that. But selfishness, that's dangerous. And selfishness has a way of masking itself as love. I recently read C.S. Lewis's novel entitled Till We Have Faces. It's a work of fiction. It's a retelling of a Greek myth of Cupid and Psyche. But as with all of Lewis's works, he writes into it a tremendous truth about the nature of God and human nature. The book's main character is named Orwal. Oruwal. I'm not going to say her name right. Sorry about that. But she is a princess, and she has a younger sister that she loves dearly, Psyche. Without explaining all the story, Oruwal, her love for her sister is not love, but it's actually selfishness. Her efforts to keep her sister for herself, to protect her sister, end up bringing devastation into her and her sister's life. In the end of the story, well, not quite the end, Orwal becomes embittered and angry that she's not allowed to keep her sister. Orwal unknowingly lives a life of selfishness, and as a, and the result is that she becomes what she fears most as a child. She becomes a terror. She becomes very evil. I've known many a person like this character, Orwal. They were certain that their desires were very good, and they spent their whole lives chasing after those desires. And when they did chase those desires, they actually ended up hurting those they loved the most, and they made monsters of themselves. Our desires might seem very good to us, to our eyes, but if they're not kingdom-seeking desires, they will rot our lives. The third warning Jesus gives is about masters. No one can serve two masters. You cannot serve God and money. In the Greek, the term is mammon. It's an Aramaic word for money. It's just written out in Greek letters. And often the text is translated mammon. So yes, it says you cannot serve God and mammon, but it's simply saying God and money. The warning here is letting someone or something else become your master. Mammon, money, often becomes a god for a lot of people to chase. Beware, because money promises what we need from God. I mean, money will promise to you, yeah, I'll give you comfort, I'll give you security, I'll give you influence greater than you can have on your own. People respect money. It offers happiness. However, all that promise is temporary. The very real danger is that we often try to have it all. We want money to serve our needs and God to keep us blessed. And we can't serve both. The reality is money is not the issue. Our heart is and who we let be master of our heart. We need a kingdom set heart. So Jesus gives three warnings. Watch out which treasure you hunt for. Watch out what you do. Uh, what you watch out that you do not follow greedy, selfish desires with your eyes, and watch out that you follow only one master, Jesus. Jesus' solution to these three warnings is to stop worrying. Now, it's not hard to see how worry can cause you to fall prey to these three pitfalls. Worry causes us to take matters into our own hands. Worry means, actually, If you don't take matters into your own hands, I know this about worry. Worry, at the very least, means you take matters out of God's hands, and that's a bad place to live. 
So Jesus commands you to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all the other stuff will take care of itself. But I want to just take a moment and expand just a little bit on what it takes to seek the kingdom. Because I think it takes a lot of things to seek the kingdom, but three that I want you to hear today are this. To seek the kingdom, it involves repentance, relationship, and then going out on mission. First one is repentance. We have to be a people, if we're going to seek the kingdom, who are willing to repent. Repentance means to acknowledge your sin. And it's to, it's to acknowledge the authority of God, and it's to turn away from your sin and towards God. Acts 3.19 says this, Repent then, and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out, that the times of refreshing may come from the Lord. You cannot seek the kingdom of God without first having repentance in your life. The second thing I would mention is relationship. Henry Blackaby writes these words, To be loved by God is the highest relationship, the highest achievement, and the highest position in life. Healthy relationships require effort, and seeking the kingdom is about having a relationship with Jesus. So, I just want to say there's three simple things that you can do that are very real and very powerful to have a healthy relationship with God. And you've heard a lot of them before, but you need to know these are very serious. First, if you want to have a healthy relationship with God, read the Bible. Put in the work of not just reading the Bible, but believe that it is true. Do what it says. Align your thoughts, your opinions up with what God says in His Word. The times we're living in right now, everybody wants to put God on trial, as though we have the knowledge and the wisdom to weigh the worth of the Creator. And so we ask questions like, can God be good if He punishes sin with hell? Can God be good if He says my sin makes me bad? Can God be good if He allows evil in this world? There's a whole list of things. Can God be really worth believing in and good if this? Instead, I would challenge you, instead of putting God on trial, put yourself on trial and use the Bible as the measurement for your life. When you do this, you will find what you need and you will find the kingdom. On a practical note, I want to encourage you, this is really practical, very simple. If you can, get a paper Bible. Sure, you can read it on a laptop or on a phone. And I know there's some people that need to do that. And I know that getting it on a phone is free. I I get it. But let me just throw these two ideas out there. First, reading a paper Bible is actually a form of testimony. Because when you're looking at your phone, let's say you're a parent, your kids don't know if you're playing Candy Crush or scrolling through Facebook or reading a book or reading the Bible. But when you have a paper Bible in your hand, they see that. They see the discipline modeled. Secondly, reading a paper copy can help with distractions. I know for myself that if I try to read my Bible on my phone, It doesn't take more than a minute before a notification pops up, and then before I know it, I've spent 15 minutes scrolling through videos of Labrador retrievers and electric guitars, and I haven't read the Word of God at all. So, paper Bible helps. I leave the phone and the other technology in another room. So, read the Bible. The second thing you can do to build your relationship with the Lord is to practice prayer. Really practice prayer. Last week, we read about Jesus teaching on prayer and his model prayer within the Lord's Prayer. But prayer, more than anything else, is about building your relationship with God. And you have to do the time daily. If you want a practical habit on how to practice prayer, keep a prayer journal. 
If you hate to journal, call it a log. Call it a record. Call it whatever you need to. It doesn't have to be elaborate. It doesn't have to be fancy. It can just be a sentence or two that you're writing down right after your prayer time. Record what you prayed for and record maybe something else you need to remember next time in prayer. The key is have a little written record, something you can review, and God will amaze you as you look back over those logs in how he answered prayer and how that you have changed during those prayer times. A third very practical thing that you can bring into your life to build your relationship with God is to meet with an accountability partner. You need to meet often enough to keep you on track with seeking God. Now, you'll have to figure out how often that is, if that's daily, weekly, monthly, a couple times a year. You have to meet often enough to keep on track with seeking God. This person should want you to thrive in Jesus above all else, and they want you to seek God's kingdoms first, and they need to be a person who won't settle for anything less than honesty, even when it hurts. And something else about this person You need to know that they love you no matter what, because sometimes you're going to have to have tough conversations about what you're going through. So, there's repentance, there's relationship. One last thing I want to mention about seeking the kingdom of God. You got to be into the work of missions. Call it missions, call it evangelism, just call it sharing Jesus, whatever you want to label it. You got to do it. Oswald Smith says this, the church that does not evangelize will fossilize. And I would say that those words are not just true of churches, but individuals. Sharing Jesus with others softens us and points us kingdomward. David Livingston writes these words, people talk of the sacrifice I made in spending so much of my life in Africa. It was emphatically no sacrifice. Say rather, it is a privilege. Anybody who asks you to keep that God stuff to yourself, hear this, because you're going to have people you love who will say, hey, don't bring up God to me. Anybody who asks you to keep that God stuff to yourself is going to ask you to seek something other than the kingdom first. They may want the best for you, but they don't even know how to give the best for you. They may not even realize it. They might want what they think is best for you. But it's not the kingdom, and so it's not the best. So beware. Be a part of missions. It will soften you to the kingdom. So what Jesus speaks about here is uh, treasure and eyes and masters and worry and seeking the kingdom. It's a shift that he's really talking about. It's a shift from I am most important to God is most important. And when you go to work, can you say that God is still your priority? When you go to school, when you select your school, can you say God is your priority? You will find fulfillment and contentment far beyond what you can imagine when you recognize God and the honor due to Him, when you make Him the top priority of your life. This is not satisfying the ego of God because He doesn't have one. It's simply recognizing who He is and your purpose before Him. Anytime and every time God takes second place in your life for any reason, you're going to set yourself up for dissatisfaction and for failure. You might be satisfied for a moment. 
You might even be pleased with the life you are building. But if you're not careful, if you're not seeking first the kingdom, you are trading away eternity. And and the life that you build now, it will never be as good as the life that God wants to build with you now. One last quote from C.S. Lewis. I really enjoy, have been enjoying his writings as of late. And this one goes like this. It comes from the book, The Weight of Glory. It would seem that our God, our Lord, finds our desires too strong, not too strong. Let me read this again. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by an offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. And I think that's what a lot of us struggle with when it comes to seeking the kingdom of God. We are too easily pleased with a couple of things we can get our hands on right now. It's time instead to start seeking God's kingdom first. Let's pray. Lord, help us to seek your kingdom first. For a lot of us, that means something else has to go or to move backwards in our priorities. Show us what needs to be moved to its proper place in our lives. Lord, I pray that you would put a holy dissatisfaction in our lives for the little things we settle for. Help us to hunger for you and to find more and more of you to seek your kingdom above all else. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go with Jesus.